What's up, people? I'm Erica, and this is Cocktails and Capitalism, a podcast that pairs crafted beverages with stories distilled from our capitalist hellscape. We're joined by Max Geller, a Jewish organizer and activist who has been fighting for Palestinian justice and liberation for many years. Max has organized with a long list of pro-Palestine groups, including Palestine Action and the International Jewish Anti-Zionist Network. He was the president of the Students for Justice in Palestine chapter at Northeastern University, a group that was suspended from campus after they handed out mock eviction notices to students modeled after those that were used by Israel when seizing and demolishing Palestinian homes. More than a year ago, I spoke with Jody Jones of Palestine Action, a UK-based network of activists that has permanently shut down two arms factories and caused millions in damages to Israel's arms dealers. As a front-facing member of Palestine Action, Max Geller joins us to talk about the birth of the new Palestine Action chapters around the world in response to the intensified genocide that has been raging for four months now. Max, how are you doing? Yeah, I mean, I'm okay. <laughs> like you say, it's been four months, and I saw the UN today said 100,000 killed, missing, or injured. And I mean... The injured part is what fe- might feel like a saving grace, but I, I just I, I hate to get horrible and deep really quick. But I just had this like incredibly intense day where so um, seven members of Palestine Action just concluded a trial in which they were brought up and stood tall for really damaging the headquarters of Elbit, which um, is a company which I think, as you mentioned earlier, your listeners uh, should be familiar with at this point. But just to give you a a Mm -hmm. quick overview, uh, it is my position that Elbit is the most evil company in the entire world, which I know is saying something, but it is Israel's largest exporter. It is a, uh, the drone manufacturer that uh, makes up 80% of Israel's drone fleet. And mm-hmm. um, I think it's really important to understand that Israel's number one export is the arms uh, industry, and its number one uh, arm that it, uh, weapon that it exports is the drone. And Elbit makes eighty mm-hmm. percent of its drone fly, uh, fleet, wow. and these drones are used not just in Gaza but all over the world. And today, I spent the day uh, in the hospital with Mohammed, a, a witness in the case that just concluded, he testified um, about uh, the uh, drone strike that killed his cousin and mm. blew apart his, uh, his own legs. And Mohammed has been um, basically in and out of hospital, has had 26 excruciating surgeries since 2011. Oh my God. And it was an Elbit drone strike that did this to him. And he was able to come to a UK court and explain what happened to him and explain that it was an Elbit drone and thank the seven defendants who had put their liberty on, their, on the line to dismantle this, uh, this company's uh, UK holdings and it was just a really intense day. It's really intense to think about what Gazan injuries really look like. Yeah. And what that number of 70,000 casualties really means um, in addition to the 30,000 killed. Yeah. And yeah. 
like it really puts into perspective what we're talking about when we talk about this this genocide you know like you sat there and you 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 read this list that you know like I've, I've been doing this for a long time and in many ways you know like the last four months have been the the nightmare that we've all hoped that would never happen and i mean we've seen mm-hmm. episodes like this before but nothing nothing like this and i think a question like how are you doing is really important because <laughs> everyone who's who's listening to this podcast has been spending the last four months consuming the most horrific images um, through their phone. I mean, we're all in this, you know, we're all experiencing the same sort of phenomenon of not being able to sleep and opening your phone and just all my, my friends have been crying the last four. I mean, it's really been horrible. One thing I really value about being in Palestine action is that in previous episodes of genocidal violence against the Gaza Strip, I've lived through about five of them. We all have, right? Yeah. Like it's, the, the feeling of not knowing what to do and just feeling helpless is not something that I've been experiencing. Like one thing that Palestine Action has really empowered me with is like a sense of knowing what to do. And what we do, what we can do is... Uh, get together and make a material impact in this war on Palestine. Yeah. The seven people uh, who were just on trial in Bristol did that. And today in New York City, people shut down one of the main branches of Albert's Bank. The Mellon Bank in, in New York was uh, shut down by Palestine activists. The Talis factory in France, in Paris was shut down by the New Palestine Action chapter uh, in France. Um, Palestine Action in Italy has been taking on uh, Leonardo, another supplier of Israeli weapons. So we're seeing, I'm very happy to tell you that these last four months have seen an unbelievable growth uh, in direct action across the Imperial Corps. People really sort of uh, taking it upon themselves to depart from the sort of normal types of marches and activism that doesn't feel like enough or that can contribute to these feelings of helplessness. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I, what you said about Mohammed and you know, addressing the Bristol Seven, I believe you were talking about, right? Um, what an incredibly powerful uh, voice to hear for for these folks who are doing this action. I mean, it really lays out the stakes so clearly in the reality that you're dealing with. It's not some distant, you know, distant crimes that are taking place. It, you guys are actually interacting with the folks who are the victims of these weapons that are being built and, and manufactured by Elbit. It's yeah, that that must really hit a different way when you have those connections. I mean, it was. Yeah, it was an honor. I mean, I can't, I don't know how else to describe it. Um, yeah. I can't sort of overstate my admiration for everyone in Gaza, especially the ones resisting this um, yeah. genocide. And Muhammad was 15 when he was blown apart in that drone strike. <laughs> and like, 
he's now uh, pushing 30 and has had over 27 surgeries. And when he came over to testify, he developed an infection in his knee, mm. uh, which had been recently uh, replaced as part of this uh, harrowing <sighs> process. And uh, yeah, he's ended up uh, weaving his way through the broken UK NHS. And I don't have a, any updates really, but um, it's just been a day of uh, like where, where I, I, I feel like a renewed sense. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's so hard. It's so hard to look directly at this, right? Especially when these numbers start hitting you, like, what does it mean? 11,000 children, you know, like, it's just mm-hmm. like unfathomable. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I got way too heavy, no. way too deep, but like, why, like uh, I, I forgot to even talk about what we're drinking here. <laughs> Let's go for it, dude. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, do you want to tell us about it or well, should I? I, was, I mean, I asked you for um, a PD recommendation and because um, mm-hmm. it's uh, the, the scotch I prefer. And I love, mm-hmm. um, you know, like for a long time, I, I, I thought the only cocktail I liked was whiskey plus ice, you know, which was two ingredients, <laughs> yeah. therefore a cocktail, really simple. Anyone can make it. And a guy like me, a simple guy. But, but I actually, turns out I actually like, I know it's like, like a little bit um, – uncouth to mention on an anti-capitalist podcast but i like a a fancy cocktail and this one is delicious (laughs) you like it yay oh dude that's so great jesse's really good at like working with people's preferences and things like this so this drink it's based on the boulevardier i think that's how you say it i call it a boulevardier but i don't know how to speak french uh yeah (laughs) okay yeah uh, something like one of these, but uh, but the drink uh, it's made of whiskey, Campari, uh, a peaty scotch, just a tiny bit of peaty scotch, and uh, cyanar or a bitter amaro. And the cyanar is actually like a um, artichoke mm-hmm. based uh, aperitif, and it is really really interesting and complex. It's really powerful, so just go easy on that as you add it. But um, but yeah, I'm glad that the flavor is combined in a way that you like we were really hoping for that i twisted a bay leaf and then i um it was poking me so i threw it away but um did you do that too <laughs> i did i have it it's it's kind of submerged in there you yeah, can't see I don't it i have a great glass <laughs> the bay leaf it's supposed to kind of be the green contrast with the red of the drinks because we're talking about palestine and the bay leaves are native to palestine so uh jesse thought to add that in there, which I thought was a really beautiful touch. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> but we didn't come up with a name for it. I, I mean, the one that I came up with was shut it down. But I don't know if you have any other suggestions or if you think of anything as we go. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, what I like, you know, we were thinking about something that was like really direct, which I feel like the signar is nothing if mm-hmm. not that. Um, yeah, it truly. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, I mean, yeah, we'll give it some thought. Okay. Yeah. Let's the direct action cocktail. I don't know. (laughs) All right. Well, let's, let's dive into some of these questions here. Um, You know, we touched a little bit on your history, but was there anything from your past that you would like to mention here, you know, from your, your activism for Palestine? So if you just want to give a little, little overview. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I think 
I think the thing that is really important for me to foreground in all of this is, is anti-Zionism. And I, I want to stress that, you know, anti-Zionism isn't just negative feelings or, or pissy complaints about Israel, right? It's, a, it's an analysis. It's an anti-imperialist analysis. And that anti-imperialist analysis is sort of the backbone of Palestine action, again, because of the role that Israel's weapons play in the U.S.'s global system and its like uh, client relationships with so many states. Israel's weapons are integral to the, some of the most repressive regimes in the world right now from you know, the, the biggest purchaser of them is Modi. There are Elbit drones buzzing over Kashmir as we speak. Israel's a major supplier to Azerbaijan, which earlier this year engaged in its own massive ethnic cleansing against Armenians. Mm. But it's also, you know, if, I, I think it's really important to sort of understand Israel's history uh, and the U.S., how it, uh, the U.S. has wielded Israel in its imperialist projects for decades now. And when you look at this history, what's happening right now, when you understand this, this sort of the role Israel plays and how we are uh, internationalists and therefore anti-Zionist, things become much more clear today. And the sort of Zionist playbook that we've seen unfold, it becomes much less, uh, I think, mystified. I think that there's a lot to, I mean, like when the U.S. and NATO bombed Yugoslavia, completely destroyed that country, right? In order to manufacture consent for it, there were headlines in every major U.S. newspaper that said the Serbian army's official policy is rape. There was lots, there was just hundreds of fake stories about uh, the Serbian army raping, um, engaging in mass rapes, rape camps. And this was, you like, these stories were all disproven eventually. And, you know, eventually the New York Times printed a retraction seven years after the bombings. Oh, my God. And I know and I think, you know, we're, we're seeing that happening right now with the New York Times pulling their 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 rape uh, story podcast in order to manufacture consent for the first Gulf War. The U.S. and the New York Times told us that Saddam Hussein had killed 500 Kuwaiti babies in incubators. Does that sound just like the 50 baby story that they told us to manufacture consent for this genocide? Yeah, yeah. Israel, along with the U.S., trained death squads in Nicaragua and in El Salvador, uh, which for years the New York Times and the Washington Post downplayed or outright denied. The death toll of those numbers, which were finally acknowledged, totaled 80,000, 200,000 in Guatemala. Israel trained those death squads at our at the U.S.'s behest. And uh, the New York Times, for a, a decade, denied those numbers, just like they're denying the numbers that the U.N. just uh, provided today. Uh, like, these playbooks we've seen over and over again. I mean, it's both sickening and sort of refreshing when you uh, zoom out because this what's happening in Gaza is not unprecedented. The U.S. does this time and time again. It wasn't just 
that Biden lied about seeing dead babies. It wasn't just that George W. Bush lied about weapons of mass destruction. It wasn't just that Lyndon Johnson lied about the Gulf of Tonkin, right? It's that the Vietnam War claimed a million Vietnamese lives. The uh, U.S. project in Iraq, the destruction of the Iraqi state, a million dead Iraqis. So what's happening in Gaza has lots and lots of precedent. And I think mm-hmm. an anti-imperialist analysis gets us there. And once we have that anti-imperialist analysis, we know how to attack this problem. We know what Israel's main export is, and we know that it's being facilitated within our own shores. Elbit has sites uh, throughout the world, which the U.S. helped purchase not just the land and the buildings for, but like indeed the very tech that goes into it has been uh, U.S. military investment in Israel. I think the the anti-imperialist analysis really gets us to a place where like uh, that the those just calling for a ceasefire uh, can't quite see. And I, I think it's really important for us um, as the left to, to look at um, our various contexts in the imperial core and figure out why we can't see what what Palestinians are doing and what they're resisting as like and, and what uh, people in Yemen are doing as like the most noble and anti-imperialist struggles happening right now. I mean, these are truly I don't I know it's um I know it's a little out of out of um, style to talk about class war, right? But um, <laughs> truly, the people in Gaza and the people in Yemen are the poorest of the poor, the poorest people on earth. And they are fighting the global ruling class, the U.S. ruling oh class. God. And they what, like, like this is a beautiful and noble struggle. And that's what makes it so much easier to put our own liberty on the line is this understanding that we are working in solidarity with truly the poorest of the poor who are fighting the most noble battle there is. And I think you know, that's what allowed me to sort of like make the decision to, it's not an easy decision getting arrested for Palestine right now. Mm-hmm. There's people who are facing decades for their, their willingness to shut down the Israeli military apparatus. The reason the state is cracking down, the reason people are so motivated is because of the stakes the popular victory that the Palestinians have already provided the world by showing us what working class, what poor people can do, what is possible. You know, I didn't think it was possible. It's really changed for me what I think is possible. And this is a very positive left outcome, right? We We talk about land back and we talk about decolonization, but I don't understand when the when it's uh, what's stopping us from looking at this and celebrating the fact that on October seventh land was reclaimed and since then settlers have left and they haven't come back. Um, yes. <laughs> and since then, like like and, and, and in that context, right? The fact that Palestine action has. I'm not exaggerating. In the last four months, we've had well over a thousand new signups. We've had hundreds of new actions. We've had 
Wow. We've had chapters all over the world. And the, and it's because there's something really inspiring happening in, in as well as, you know, something unspeakable and genocidal. Mm-hmm. These things are like are a dialectic and they're both true at the same time. God, I, I want to dive into so many of the things that you just talked about. And I'm tempted to ask you about how, as a Jewish person, you became an anti-Zionist. But I don't know if we should just move on to talking to talking about Palestine action more. Yeah, I mean, I like I, I like that question. I would just say that my own Judaism has never felt less relevant to me. This has never been more clearly not a religious issue. You know, like when we, p- people talk about this as like a religious issue, it seems like there's like two sides and they don't quite understand or there's some difference that can't be. Um, between these two religions that can't be. Yeah. But this is like, I, I just don't, I'm an anti-imperialist and, and Israel is imperialism. The fact that like I'm a Jewish anti-imperialist or a Jewish anti-Zionist just means that I have anti-imperialist politics and some social anxiety and like like a bad stomach when I eat uh, dairy sometimes. You know what I mean? Like I don't really think <laughs> that um, yeah. there's anything... <laughs> Uh, more to talk about in terms of Jewish anti-Zionism in 2024. It's just whether or not you have uh, a, a radical analysis or a liberal complaint about what's going on. Yeah, that's perfect. I really wanted to ask you about the direct action approach of Palestine Action and what drew you to get involved. I was living in New Orleans uh, for a few years, and New Orleans has an enormous Palestinian uh, diaspora population, one of the largest in the U.S. Um, there was, uh, in, after the 67 defeat, there were two depopulated West Bank villages that basically up and moved to southern Louisiana. And they remain there. And they're, they're a working class population. They, you know, they're a mercantile class. They have a lot of like the, the gas stations and corner shops in uh, New Orleans and mm-hmm. Metairie. And um, I did an organizing project. We we uh, worked on this municipal uh, BDS campaign. It's, we spent a year on it, where we were um, we did all the we we sort of like we we played the um, electoral the local electoral game beautifully. We had days of agitation. We had days of Collins. We had compelling speeches. We got hundreds of. Um, Palestinian American people who had never really done uh, community organizing before to come to the city council meeting, all to ask for a municipal BDS resolution that called on the city council to divest any holdings that were from companies who profited from human rights abuses. Sounds pretty fucking milquetoast, if I do say so myself, right? <laughs> and um, <laughs> we got to start somewhere. <laughs> and we we passed it. We passed it, and we like it took us a year, and we passed it. And um, when the Zionists uh, found out that um, Palestinians in New Orleans were celebrating this, within uh, it took them three days to schedule an emergency city council meeting in which the resolution was rescinded and all of the organizers were demonized. And the 
oh my God. Um, experience of having this thing that we worked on, which was, you know, symbolic, right? That mm-hmm. divestment was just theoretical. And even if we eventually got yeah. there, the New Orleans City Council investment is not what is keeping the occupation afloat. Mm-hmm. But that said, they took it away within with like that. They rescinded this liberal milquetoast bill. And um, I, I learned something. I, I mean, that was an instructive experience. Yeah. The idea that we can work our asses off and have Zionists take the thing away left me in a place where I'm no longer asking governments, especially governments in the imperial core for anything. I don't want to ask mm-hmm. Joe Biden, the New Orleans City Council, or you know the UK government, the, my local MP for jack shit. They are, uh, it is, uh, that is like a fundamental misapprehension of what's happening here. The U.S. and the U.K. governments are the ones attacking Palestine, and they've been doing so for 80 years. And the idea that we can ask the government to stop seems like when you say it out loud, it's foolish. So instead of asking the powers that be for permission or for their help, um, direct action and Palestine actions theory is that we'll just do it ourselves and dare them to stop us. <laughs> Cheers to that. It's so much more effective. In in one day, these the seven Bristol activists caused more damage to the Israeli military apparatus than I, in five years of dutiful BDS campaigning, ever uh, even sniffed at, and I don't think it's because I'm like I'm. I made a, a ton of mistakes as an organizer. You know, like we all are doing this by the seat of our pants, and we're all yeah. um, trying our best. And I believe everyone, especially during a genocide. You know, it's it's. I don't want to sound critical of people because there's a genocide happening, and it's all hands on deck um, to stop that genocide, but. I know what feels effective and I know what feels, you know, like what doesn't make me feel helpless. And that is doing something that risks arrest, but also uh, shuts down the thing that's causing the, uh, the genocide. Like, like we are making Palestine action has made the largest material impact on uh, Israel's war machine compared with anything else that has happened in like the 15 years of the BDS movement. And we, I, I think wow. Wow. that's something we should be extremely proud of. And I, I think we should understand that it takes a great deal of sacrifice and defeating America and defeating uh, the UK and defeating Israel is going to require sacrifice. There's no way of perfectly tailoring a campaign to be anti-imperialist and have it be consequence free. That's just not how it works. You don't, you don't threaten, you don't uh, resist imperialism uh, without any consequences. And I think we just have to understand what's actually happening here. And that is U S imperialism is destroying Palestinian lives. And once we like, uh, fully, 
with clear eyes accept that reality with grim resolve, we try and figure out how we can make the most impact and stop it. And in that vein, um, both BDS and Palestine Action target economic interests and, you know, cause economic damage that will put pressure on the powers that be. Can you talk a little bit about how like Palestine Action impacts the bottom line of these bloodstained corporations? Sure. I mean, there's lots of different ways, right, to understand we have UK labor laws here that, um, you know, if we can get on the roof, if we can gain access to a part of the building where we're not supposed to, they send the workers home. It's this weird vestige of actually caring about working class folks that uh, <laughs> um, I know it sounds weird, right? Especially in America. Yeah, but, it's so weird. Um, yeah. but every day we prevent these factories from opening. We have a, like we know what their profits are by years. We can divide that by days they're open, and days that we prevent them from opening are lost profits. I mean, in that sense, it's very simple, right? But there's also another component to this, which is you know, 12 years ago, activists in the north of Ireland permanently kicked Raytheon out of the country, and they haven't been back since. And that popular victory that those uh, dairy activists achieved by kicking out Raytheon um, is is the very thing that's inspired well over a thousand people in the UK to spend uh, nights in jail to prevent Elbit from opening. Right. So these popular it's it, it's really important to think about what popular victories how we can inspire all of those around us. I mean, I was so inspired when you know these four 19 and and 21 year old queer radical British kids got on top of a weapons factory for four days during uh, a a 2021 assault on Gaza. And they, that, that factory eventually never opened again. That's fucking amazing. Oh my God. You know, and I mean, cheers to that. (laughs) And that's what got me chaining myself to the gates of a weapon of the, of, you know, the same company's factory, you know, like if they can do it, I can, you know, and then, and I, I hope people listening are like thinking to themselves, you know what? I can spend three days in jail for Palestine. I can spend a week in jail for Palestine. I can, you know, like I can yeah. do what it takes. I, I, I can, um, irrespective of the consequences I may face, I know what is morally righteous. A lot of times it's borderline cringe um, to be this earnest, right? But I, mm-hmm. I, I, I really think that without exaggeration, Palestine action consists of the most noble, brave people in the entire United Kingdom. And like the willingness to do what they're doing is is so inspiring. And, and the, the few times we've had uh, people in, in, in UK prisons for a, a long time, the response that we've received from Palestinian political prisoners, from the broader Palestinian prisoner movement has been just overwhelming. Um, people feel like they're part of the actual resistance when they uh, are shutting down these weapons factories. And and I think it's beautiful and earned. And I, I really hesitate to say that usually. Yeah, yeah. 
the state isn't cooperating with our plans to permanently expel Elbit from the UK. And they are uh, trying to scare us. They have uh, thrown some extremely serious charges at the at, at some members of Palestine Action. It hasn't worked yet, but that doesn't mean it's not going to work in the future. And it really requires us to build as robust a movement as possible to make um, the state back down. We have a responsibility to take care of all of our uh, actionists, um, the ones in New Hampshire, the ones in France. There are lots of, of, of trials that are um, happening, you know, as we talked in the very beginning, as we speak and uh, coming up. And I think no matter where you're listening to us, um, trial support is a way and, and jail support is a way that you can get involved with Palestine Action. I have in my capacity as a, 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 a as prison support, I've received uh, letters. Sometimes, you know, some people have written uh, Palestine Action prisoners almost every day um, that they've wow. been inside. Oh my gosh. Like, it's really beautiful. Wow. Um, <gasps> we've had bakers um, uh, send cakes to the homes of oh recently really released prisoners. It's been, there's lots to be inspired by. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like so many people are looking for purpose and looking for how they can make a difference in this world and feeling so demoralized, like there's nothing they can do. And I feel paralyzed. And, and I feel that a lot of the time, like looking at what is happening in Gaza right now. But the fact that people can step up and take action with Palestine Action and make a material difference for the lives of Palestinians and that, I mean, that's something that you can be proud of for your entire life and you can die happy having done, you know, <laughs> that is kind of how I think of it. <laughs> like, Yeah. I saved the news clipping from my arrest and I saved it uh, for my future children to look at. I love it. And, I mean, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it was, it was like, it truly, it was like one of the best days of my life. It was a feeling of belonging and um, a part of something, you know, it's like the thing that we're all looking for to yeah. feel like a, we're a part of something much bigger than us. Totally. Yeah. The instance in my life where I've most felt like I was part of something much bigger than myself was chained to the gates of that weapons factory in Kent, knowing that every other entrance was being blocked by comrades and also, yeah, just like yeah. being able to say comrades and truly mean it, you know, it's, yeah, um, yeah. it's a, it's a really nice feeling. That's beautiful. I love that so much. That's great. You know, I want to shift to talking about a, a victory, a recent victory. Palestine Action has been targeting transportation giant Kuhn and Nagel for months. Oh, yeah. The company just and the company just sent a letter to Palestine Action declaring that they've ended all ties with Elbit Systems, Israel's largest weapons firm. Wanted to hear a little bit of your take about this victory. Yeah, it's so awesome, right? Like, yeah. um, look, um, it's like really, it's, uh, it makes me so happy. It makes like the, uh, just to give um, everyone the full, the full story. Yeah. So, Palestine Action, initially, right, there was, um, we permanently forced the closure of two Elbit sites. 
in, in our uh, first uh, 18 months of existence. So insanely cool. <laughs> the London headquarters fell after six weeks in which people came, you know, three, two, three times a week, every week for six straight weeks. And after the sixth week, they abandoned, they quit the office. They, they've, they've abandoned the facility. And the, the remaining eight sites are, are our main target. You know, that's, that's the prize. We want to force those closures mm-hmm. and we want them to make like Raytheon and leave the islands forever. But the remaining eight have been stubborn. I think the state is really reluctant to give that popular victory, um, you know, we were just talking about. So they're keeping these sites open, sometimes at a loss, sometimes, you know, with no workers on site, but they're still open. So we've shifted to targeting every bit of infrastructure from their web designer uh, all the way up to their trucks and Shutting down the trucks is a really big deal. And that's what we did with the Kuhn uh, and Nagel victory. That's their, their, their international shipping. That's what gets the weapons from Bristol to uh, repressive regimes all around the world and indeed to fix the drones flying over Gaza. These, there are, and, and what's I think really important to understand is um, unlike web designers, you know, we also had this victory uh, early on in the genocide, where um, you know Elbit's uh, Elbit UK's web designer was like, "Oh, we don't want any part of this," but that's a small contract. <laughs> yeah, um, there are only five major trucking shipping companies in the UK that have the um, legal right to export uh, or to handle weapons, and we knocked out mm-hmm. one of them. And there are only That's so crazy. <laughs> so there are only four more that Elbit can hire, and we are committed to a direct action campaign against whomever they hire next. Yes. Trucks were uh, halted, buildings were vandalized. Palestine Action knows how to visit anyone who profits from Elbit uh, weapons and the destruction of Palestine, and we are committed to doing so. Palestine action can really disrupt the way Elbit conducts business. Elbit hasn't been able to smoothly operate in the three years of Palestine's founding. And that's truly, uh, at the end of the day, the point of all of this, right, is to disrupt and make sure Elbit can't function the way it wants to function. Make sure that instead of producing weapons, Elbit has to get on the phone and start and work out the logistics of finding a new shipping company. That's a victory for us. That's uh, hours uh, not spent uh, making weapons that are killing Palestinian children. I really, I, I mean, we all feel so good about this and it's not, it wasn't that hard. I mean, it was brave and daring, but it wasn't impossible and anyone can do it. Anyone can figure out, um, the the logistics by which these weapons are transported from their local community to battlefields and figure out how they can stop it and, and dare the powers that be to prevent them from doing so. Yeah. And here's a quote from you from the Real News Network, where you say, it doesn't take hundreds of people to shut down a factory. It takes a few people with a good plan. 
I love that. And that is why I love direct action as well, because if you just do these things intelligently, if you just come up with a really good plan, you don't need to move every single person in the world to come and join you. You need just a few friends who know what to do. You know, Totally. I mean, let me give you a quick example, right? Yeah. We just saw an incredible debut action from the comrades in Palestine Action France. They, uh, Talus, which is a major, major supplier to the Israeli Air Force, a major, major supplier to their drone fleet. It's a French uh, weapons facility that was hit by activists. And every single access point was sabotaged with uh, nails in the road. You, they just drove nails, hundreds and hundreds of nails in the middle of the night making it impossible for any truck to enter this building. (laughs) Brilliant. So that day, instead of uh, opening and building weapons, the workers had to remove thousands of nails from the (laughs) parking lots and the, the, the the, uh, egresses. And it was was eight of them. And (laughs) what's really excellent is they had, 24 people who wanted to do this and they were able to do it with eight. So after the first eight <laughs> did it, another eight were able to go back the night, uh, three nights later. Yes. And, and once you start yeah. going back over and over again, that's once these um, direct actions stop being one-offs and start being repeated, once we start showing up day after day, uh, that's a movement and that really scares people. And I, I really think Palestine action, um, you can tell by the way the state is trying to repress us. We're scaring the right people and <laughs> we're doing it um, on the cheap, right? Like some of these, some of these like NGOs, like let's name them, you know, JVP, a $400 uh, donation to JVP will buy you some cocktail napkins at one of their galas. Okay. Four hundred dollars. Uh, what is that? Is that legit? <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Four hundred dollars oh, is enough to buy a lot of nails. Four hundred dollars <laughs> is enough to buy uh, a ladder and a lot of paint. You know how many sledgehammers you can buy for four hundred dollars? This is like uh, I don't mean to be uh, you know crass but like past actions is a lot of bang for your buck yeah <laughs> it's a good deal guys it's a, uh, considering how much damage we cause totally to elbit four hundred dollars buying five hundred thousand pounds worth of damage is it's a really good investment <laughs> best investment i've ever heard i mean we've had <laughs> actions where four people with sledgehammers have caused five hundred thousand pounds worth of damage that's not an exaggeration. And mm-hmm. I, I truly defy anyone to find me a better bargain. <laughs> what a way to put it. I love it. <laughs> so after October 7th and the genocide that intensified in its wake, new Palestine action chapters popped up all over the world, including the U.S., Italy, Scotland, and France. Can you share a bit about these chapters and some of the actions they've taken? Um, well, first, the... Uh, Scottish uh, chaps, as it were, um, they've been they've been very active for for a while, um, pre okay. preceding the genocide. Oh, I didn't know that. Thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, 
look, what has happened in uh, the U.S., in Italy, uh, in France has been both gratifying of a long time coming. And I just want everyone to know and to start thinking that, like, this is something that um, anybody can do. If you have, you know, five or six people that you're uh, interested in doing this with, get in touch with us. We, the way Palestine Action France started, the way Palestine Action Italy started, the way Palestine Action US, started, the way all of the new chapters start is with DMs on Instagram, with emails <laughs> to our info at palestineaction.org. Like, there's nothing we like more than um, having zoom calls or jitsi meetings with people who are interested in learning more people who are like you know what i want to know why i'm not starting a palestine action chapter i want to know why i'm (laughs) not doing direct action and there's a lot of reasons people have for not doing direct action and there's a lot of them are good ones but if you start to ask yourself if those if you actually have those good reasons not to do direct action if you're even asking yourself that question please get in touch (laughs) a single sjp chapter could figure out how to start doing direct action we saw banks in toronto uh shut down after meetings with us there are lots of resources and create creative ideas that we can generate uh together but um Reaching out is, is the first step. And a lot of people have done that. And that's how the, the chapters that you mentioned started. And nothing more than that. It's really that simple. <laughs> We're not remaking the wheel here. Direct action to stop war has been a backbone of the way people organize themselves in the Imperial Corps since Vietnam and before. And I think there are a lot of people who would like to tell you that there are other ways of doing things, um, but they um, have a financial interest in their NGO jobs. And I, I don't know. I, I mean, and part of it is just that like direct action is sexy. Getting the goods mm-hmm. is sexy. Doing <laughs> results are, are, are sexy. We know that like Elbit is making more than 40,000 pounds per day per site in the UK. And I had never done anything that cost uh, Israel tens of thousands of dollars, let alone doing something in a day that costs Israel tens of thousands of dollars. But I shut down a weapons factory, spent a night in jail, and I can tell you now that, that, that years later, the, 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 the only result is, is that I know it's possible. I know that eight people working together can cause tens of thousands of dollars worth of damages to the most evil company in the world. Yeah. And maybe this is a good time to talk a little bit about like some of the consequences that folks face for getting in into direct actions for participating in some of these actions. One thing that I've been learning more and more is some of the difference between the police repression in the UK and other countries versus in the US and how that is a little different. Can you talk a little bit about like for folks wondering like, oh, God, this sounds scary. The consequences. Yeah, it is scary. I mean, especially in the U.S., like felonies are really scary. Yeah. And it is definitely my politics, right, to tell 
my fellow Jews, my fellow white people, that they need to get arrested for Palestine right now. But I, I would not say that like everyone needs to get felonies for Palestine. That's really intense. And I don't wish that on anybody. Yeah. You don't have to do accountable actions where you uh, get arrested. This morning uh, at BNY uh, Mellon in New York, those, no one got arrested. That bank was nice. shut down for the day and nobody got arrested because they came in the middle of the night when nobody was looking. There are ways of escaping that are even better, right, than getting arrested. No one yeah. wants, we're not, I'm not asking anyone for martyrdom, right? If you can, if you can achieve the goal without, without uh, getting arrested, definitely do that. Most of the actions which led to the uh, Nagel victory were uh, unaccountable ones where people got away in the middle of the night. And those were enough to, <laughs> but it's important to understand that those, like enough of those actions in the middle of the night were enough to persuade them to drop Elbit as a client. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. you don't have to get arrested, but I do think you have to risk getting arrested. Yeah. You have to be willing to risk it. But it's get away. Please get away. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I appreciate this about Palestine Action, that it's not about the performative act of getting arrested. It is about being willing to risk that to to actually make damage that makes a material difference in relation to Elbit systems, these these weapons manufacturers. So, yeah, it's I, I think that's a really important thing, because oftentimes leftists can kind of get lost in the okay, now I'm going to demonstrate my my dedication to this cause and it does nothing, you know? And that's not that's not what we need right now. It does nothing, especially if you don't keep doing it, right? Yeah, like, yeah that's true, yeah. Palestine Action it's, it's has never done a, like a one-off. Um, we, mm-hmm. Like one-offs, we're, we're in the movement building business, not the one-off yeah. business. Um, eventually you know, enough broken windows and red paint can create a big enough dilemma that a company says, you know what, this isn't worth it. It isn't worth being associated with Elbit. So we're out. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a victory. Yeah. We're yeah. in the, like, I, I really think it's important to just think uh, through how to create a dilemma for the target, whether mm-hmm. it's Elbit itself like the dilemma being like, okay, is this worth it? Is it worth staying in this country and trying to do business here where every day we're our, um, we might get disrupted or we might have a facility uh, smashed up? Um, that's a dilemma that Elbit has to think about. But for mm-hmm. uh, Elbit's s- subsidiaries or for the people that make the, the weapons industry run, there are different pressure points and different dilemmas to create. And that's our task. And not all of that involves uh, getting arrested. Mm-hmm. Much of it involves mm-hmm. getting away and living to fight another day. But it, all of yeah. it involves building pressure that eventually becomes too much for these companies to bear. So we're towards the end of this discussion, but I just wanted to ask you, Assuming that I am someone that is just kind of learning about Palestine action and interested in the work that you folks are doing and feeling inspired by you folks, 
what would be the process for getting plugged in and getting involved with the work that you're doing? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I can tell you how I got involved. Um, I yeah. sent <laughs> I sent an Instagram DM to the Palestine Action account, which I can't recommend doing now because we get truly oh. thousands a day. But there are um, now we have dedicated uh, signups and uh, weekly or, or three times a week since the um, since October intake meetings where we talk about our theory, talk about what we've done, talk about how different ways people can get involved. I will say that, like, you know, we have a lot of, as you can imagine, security procedures in place, vetting, et cetera. Yeah. But roughly speaking, right, what, if a person does our trainings and is, you know, fully aware of what is being asked of them and what they're signing up for, it happens pretty quickly. People will get in touch with you and ask you if you're available on a certain date. And if you are, then you'll be uh, moved ahead. And if you're not, then you'll get back, you'll be back in the pool. But Palestine Action has different teams, people, and I don't know most of them, you know, like it's a very mm -hmm. need to know basis. But mm -hmm. um, what happened, uh, someone contacted me who was putting together an action on a certain day. And when I told them I was available for that day, I was added to a signal group. And it all sort of uh, happened from there. But <laughs> it's both easy and um, it's intense. You know, I don't, I don't mean to suggest otherwise. Like this is a thing where people that people take extremely seriously. But um, the yeah. moment, that's what the moment requires. And mm -hmm. the feeling that I've gotten when I have from when I see people who I have trained up on a rooftop um, and then <laughs> after um, their their action, when I see those same people um, in the training, doing the trainings with me. And um, it's you know, it's really we really I've really been able to see in these last few years how the movement reproduces itself and really grows exponentially. I see no reason why we're we're not going to stop anytime soon. So if you <laughs> um, are impelled, please do get in touch. Um, it uh, it really changed my life uh, just uh, acting on that impulse one day, and I've been <laughs> riding it ever since. <laughs> I love it. That is so awesome. Yeah, thank you for that and just making it so um, kind of tangible what what that process is like, what it looks like for folks. And it's really not that complex. If you're interested, you can just get plugged in very fast. So were there any other like like website links that they should you want to plug right now um, or or your pages or anything that folks should follow? Yeah, please follow Palestine Action. Um both Palestine Action uh, on Instagram, on Twitter. We have a Palestine Action International page. Again, we have trainings on how to do direct action, on how we conceive of direct action in the context of the UK and uh, the weapons industry. Uh, and you're more than welcome to get in touch and ask for like a specific meeting uh, for your specific context. We've done a bunch of these and every once in a while they turn out to uh they, they yield full chapters that's so cool well awesome this has been so so great max 
Yeah, I'm really glad we could do it. Um, I've been Me uh, too. really uh, looking forward to this. <laughs> Me too, man. And I, you are someone that I'd heard incredible things about from multiple other people who have been on the show. Uh, so it was like kind of a long time coming that we actually had the sat down to have this conversation. And I really, really hope that in the future we can uh, do some of this, some more of this in person because you're fucking amazing. <laughs> it was so fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Cheers and solidarity. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. Let me finish my... Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. That was wow, good. we did it. <laughs> hey, folks. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Cocktails and Capitalism. This show is an anti-capitalist labor of love, but we could use your help to make this project sustainable. If you can support with even a dollar a month on Patreon, that would really help us continue to educate, agitate, and amplify the voices of those who are working to destroy capitalism and create a better world. I wanted to take a moment to thank our existing patrons, who have done so much to help me continue this project. Your support means the world to me, and it has truly helped me continue this project, helping me pay for the basic expenses involved with keeping the show running. Sending so much love and solidarity to the following folks. Los Pacos, Samete, Johanna Macher, Ahota, Kathleen Bruch, Diane Luschner, Kimmy Ramos, Rafael Rositas Jr., Joe, Jody McClenny, Dystopian Grift, Cam Lawless, Matt G., Miranda Holtgriff, I hope I'm saying this right. <laughs> Bimbo Bookshelf. Deborah V. Emery Alexander. Nicole Pollock. Barry and Stacy. One of the people that is nearest and dearest to me, Eric. Cricket Dean. Clara. D. Fiore. And Sarah Weimers. I also want to give a special shout out to my dear friend and past guest on the show, Prepper Pig. I was blown away to find out that he had actually signed up on Patreon to support the work that I'm doing. And uh, I, I can't tell you how much that means, knowing that he is doing some of the most important work out there. Thank you so, so much for not only coming on the show, but for believing in what I'm doing and for wanting to help me continue. Your contribution literally brought me to tears when I saw it. So to Prepper Pig and to all of the rest of you, cheers and solidarity. You folks are amazing. Mm -hmm.